KCF Technologies presents Industrial Transformation, Stories of Failure and Success from the Front Lines of American Manufacturing. Welcome back to the Industrial Transformation Podcast. I am Jeremy Frank of KCF Technologies, and I have the pleasure of sitting down today with Megan Zimba, who is a, a real thought leader in arguably one of the most important topics facing manufacturing and industry today, which is attracting younger people and specifically attracting women into the workforce. I think we've all realized how important that is. Megan has created a uh, has created Ma Mavens of Manufacturing, which is a live video broadcast series that combines women empowerment, brand storytelling, and the amazing world of manufacturing. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you, Jeremy. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I um, It's getting sunny here in the Midwest and a little bit warmer, so I'm really excited about that because uh, during these months, we never know if we're going to get snow or rain and um so I'm pretty excited for the warm weather because I get sick of the cold real quick. <laughs> absolutely. This spring in particular, I think, is a long time coming and everybody's ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. So your four topics, uh, yeah, at least yeah, I think what I understand is the main goals of Mavens of Manufacturing is really four big things. One is just bringing awareness about manufacturing and how important it is. And then secondly, getting younger people excited about it and into it. Third, specifically women, attracting women into this into this space that we all know is, is exciting, but not everybody does. And then lastly, having a platform for, for allowing uh, women who are in manufacturing to share their stories and share their, their voice and their actions. Can you just give us from, I'd love to hear for, from your point of view, you know, why this is so important and what those four things are, are why they're the goals of what you're doing? Yeah, so I started Mavens in Manufacturing almost two years ago, and one was just because I miss doing interviews with multiple people. Um, I'm a technical writer by trade. I started writing for manufacturing since uh, in 2008, and I started out in the trade publication industry, which gave me a wonderful opportunity to talk to a lot of different companies and learn about how they were creating their products and services and why. And just hearing and seeing the passion that most of them had was really addicting for me. I really enjoyed seeing how the design process and the development process took place and the products that they were creating, how they were changing people's lives for the better. It was just really fun and interesting for me. And I've always been naturally curious on how things were made and why they were made and how things work in the world. And so it was a perfect fit for me. Um, during that time when I was getting invited to trade shows to interview people at their booths, I did notice that I was one of very few women on the trade show floor. And um, fast forward to today, I have a daughter who's graduating. She's 18. She's actually going into nursing. And with my natural curiosity, I'm, I just naturally kind of stuck my nose where I didn't belong. And I uh, snooped in on some of her conversations that she was having with her friends. And all of them are going, you know, to four-year colleges to pursue higher education and degrees like uh, marketing, customer service, medical, or teaching or something sports-related, which is fine. But none of them are really talking about engineering or manufacturing, and I wanted to know why. And I also wanted to know why they were thinking that pursuing a four-year college degree education was the only way that they were going to be successful because 
a lot of them seemed like they were carrying that burden from being pressured into their by their parents, which was something that happened to me when I was going through high school. I always tested well in English. So I was always told that I was going to be an English teacher, which didn't sound really exciting for me. So by the time I got to college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I almost flunked out twice. I got pregnant with my daughter and decided that uh, I needed to to figure out what I wanted to do. And that's how I found technical writing. But uh, I feel like it's important to, you know, inspire the next generation of women because we're still at a a low percentage. I think the last report that I read from Deloitte said that we were around 25 to 26%. But then the women in manufacturing group, uh, they did a study with another organization and we were up like 33%. So a little bit better. Um, but then when you break it down into disciplines, we're still around the one to 2% across all of the disciplines. So I really wanted to just provide this platform to showcase what career opportunities are available because it's not just the dirty, dark, dangerous career pathways anymore. This isn't our father's engineering or manufacturing sector anymore. It's not our grandfather's engineering or manufacturing sector anymore. Um, there's a lot of high tech technologies going on. So I really wanted to create Mavens to showcase those opportunities, but I also wanted to inspire the next generation specifically women, um, because, yeah, we're still struggling to get those numbers up. And I think it's important that we do that because engineering and manufacturing, if you don't have a strong foundation, it can actually be considered a nationally a national security threat. And I come from a small community and we had four major manufacturing companies when I was in high school. And by the late 90s, early 2000s, Three of them actually shut down and one actually decreased their uh, workforce by half, I think, or almost half. And it really hurt our community. We, Our poverty levels went up, unemployment levels went up. People were moving out of the city to go to other places where jobs were available. And it really uh, hurt us economically. And it wasn't until probably about six or seven years ago that uh, an individual came in and uh, invested a lot of their money and time in building back up our community. And now that we're having all of these manufacturers come back in, our community is becoming stronger and more economically stable. And I think that's true across the United States um, here in America and even in any other country. Uh, you can look at other countries who have strong manufacturing bases and they're they're successful economically as well too, and they're thriving. So yeah. I just feel like if we don't fix the skills gap issue, uh, it's going to hurt us in the long run. And um, it's going to become a national security threat. And that's, that's not good. We don't want that to happen. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, you know, it's something I talk about a lot in our company. So my similar story, my uh, family grew up, well, my, my father grew up in Mansfield, Ohio, and my grandfather worked at a, the premier Westinghouse facility, make, making appliances like post-World War II that was the company town. And, and similarly, they went through a period where it lost its competitive edge it, and it has left, shut down in the 90s and left a big economic hole in that town in Mansfield, Ohio. And I, I think you're right. That story mm -hmm. is all across the board. And it's something it's very personal for me. I think it's personal for a lot of people. It's neat that you've seen that turnaround so that you use the word addictive. Well, you use the word addicted to the stories of 
I, I just wanted to break down the kind of these four things, you know, the, um, the first one is just, just generally bringing awareness to manufacturing to, to, you know, if it's a national security aspect or if it's just an economic aspect, it's both, I think, mm-hmm. but to bring, to improve our competitive edge relative to the rest of the world, but also just to enable prosperity in our communities. Mm-hmm. So that's your goal. Um, maybe can we talk a little bit about both like what the real problem there is and is it getting better or worse? You know, what's, what's happening right now from what you see, you've talked all, you've done, you know, 60 some of these interviews now that you've been doing mavens of manufacturing. What are you, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? Yeah. So right now, and it's not just in the United States that I'm seeing or hearing about this. There's other countries that are experiencing the same thing, but we're, we're experiencing this skills gap or lack of workforce. I've talked to other individuals who are calling it a training gap, meaning, you know, we've haven't prioritized the trade skills as much as we prioritize other areas of academics or learning or knowledge. And I, I see that when I was in high school, I wasn't ever told or aware of the opportunities in the Votech area because of where I was testing well. I was testing well in English not math and science. I'm okay with science, um, math. I'm still using my fingers till this day to add and subtract. I'm terrible at it. Um, And I feel like skills trades have been put on the back burner for a really long time. And now we're starting to see the effects of that. And if we don't start closing the skills gap, you know, companies are going to have a really hard time finding talented workers. Uh, There's this thing now that people are calling I've heard several terms for it. They're calling it the gray wave or the silver tsunami. And it's a bunch of workers in the manufacturing sector that are getting ready to retire. And with that retirement, unfortunately, they're going to be taking all of that knowledge that they've learned on the machines that they're using and the, the skills that they're using. And without that knowledge, it's really difficult for the next generation to kind of pick up those basic, basic skills, I think. And um, if you don't have these opportunities set up between mentors and apprenticeships, um, I like to call it, you know, uh, the Jedi and their, their, uh, what are they called? Padawans. Yeah. Yeah. The Jedis and the the masters and the Padawans. If you don't have those relationships built up, it's going to be really hard to pass that knowledge down from next generation, next generation. And we're actually going to lose that knowledge, which is a scary thing. Um, you know, even though we're advancing in all of these technologies, we still need the basic understanding of those soft skills to progress forward. And a lot of companies that I've talked to, a lot of leadership that I've talked to, they're all saying the same thing. Like we're having a really hard time getting talented people through the doors to run these machines or to weld these components together. And it's scary because if they can't find the the employees or the workers to do those things, they're going to start turning down jobs. Um, A gentleman that I talked to in Wisconsin, he actually turned down a million dollar order because he did not have the workers to fill that order. And he is like, never in my business career did I ever think I would say no to a million dollars. And here I am today saying, no, I I can't take this order for you. So it's really scary. Well, especially, so it's interesting because it's scary, but also optimistic at the same time, 
I mean, we see it too. So, you know, right in the Midwest, you know, where you are, we're in Pennsylvania. It's, it varies across the country, across the world, but in the Midwest, you know, a lot of auto manufacturing is big, obviously in Michigan, but also in Ohio and in Indiana and in Kentucky, Tennessee. And a lot, you know, the, the pandemic and supply chain shortages is, is driving this impetus to do more manufacturing here and commit mm-hmm. to it. The organizations and the nation are, a lot of nations are realizing the importance of that. So it's actually going to put more pressure, not less, on those, you know, more of those million dollar orders, those opportunities. And, and yet, mm-hmm. I mean, I know the number, the number that really stuck in my head is in, in um, Kentucky, like right in the middle of the Midwest, a lot of this, a lot of this manufacturing is happening in Kentucky. The workforce participation rate is only 53% as a lot of those people are, are aging out and, and people are, are just not. Um, and that, that's across the board in manufacturing. It's just particularly stressed for the reasons you've said. So I'm, I'm, what I what I want to ask there is, do you see some optimism? Like I, theoretically, if you can get your word out, we can get our word out. There is this impetus to do more of this here and to recognize the importance of it. And then people will be drawn and realize how awesome it is and be drawn to it and match that. So it's a good story, hypothetically, but only if it only if it works. So what do you, what do you think? Yeah, so I've. And that's one of the reasons why I love doing what I'm doing with Maymans because I'm hearing all of these great stories, but I'm also seeing a lot of proactiveness from certain individuals who are putting their boots to the ground as a, a gentleman that I met. His name is Matt Cousy. He, he says, put your boots to the ground. And um, one of the guests that I've had on, her name is uh, Kathy Miller. Nope. She's the author of... Uh, steel boots and stilettos. The Kathy that I'm talking about is Kathy Walker. Sorry, there's so many Kathys that I know. But Kathy Walker, she you mentioned Kentucky. She's in um, Kentucky and she started a, a Haas uh, technical space called eCami. So she started out in banking and financing and she started to see that coal mining was on the way out. So Kentucky is known for a lot of their coal mines. She started noticing right away that it was on its way out and that all of these workers were going to be out of a job if they didn't upskill or learn something new um, to, to better themselves and move forward with a new opportunity. So she knew that CNC machining was becoming more and more popular. So she um, did, did the groundwork and she talked to a lot of leadership within the community. She got connected with Haas and she started this eCami uh, facility and she brought in those coal miners and she started teaching them about CNC machining and now they're starting to integrate a lot of the robotic stuff too and they do additive manufacturing and um, she's a great great individual to talk to and she said she's like you know there's the basic academics of some of these manufacturing processes and she's like you you need to have that one-on-one with some of these older generations. And what she's doing is she's bringing the older generations with the younger generations so that the two generations can teach each other. So the younger generations are very tech savvy and that's where a lot of this stuff is going. Um, It's going into programming and uh, automation and industrial internet of things. And we hear things about like smart factories and stuff. It's a lot of coding involved, a lot of, you know, technical skills that you need, which the younger generation seems to be a lot more savvy than the older generation. So 
the younger generation at her facility is teaching the older generation about some of these newer technologies. And then the older generations are bringing those traditional skills to the younger generation and teaching them about that. So it's a great setup because she's developing these mentorships and the generations are learning from each other. And then uh, these individuals are getting sought out by manufacturing companies before they even finish the program. Um, because of the skill sets that she's helping uh, create within these individuals. So I'm seeing a lot of stories like that where more people are becoming proactive in their communities because they understand now the importance of having a strong manufacturing base. So there's a lot of um, companies that are doing things like FIRST Robotics. They're, they're sponsoring teams. Uh, some are bringing in more uh, high school students to see what their factory floors are like and sh actually showing what a manufacturing career can look like. Um, some are volunteering their time. But it's not enough. Like we still need to connect people because some manufacturers, I think, are still kind of behind in how they're marketing themselves as a company to their communities. They're still focused on getting that next lead or that, ne that next buy when they should be focusing some time within their community outreach stuff, because if you don't have people supporting your brand, it's really gonna hard to do that word of mouth and like support what you're making within that community. So I think they still need to shift a little bit of their marketing stuff to community outreach and getting connected with kids, especially in families, to show them, hey, this is what we're making. This is why we're making it and get that sense of pride back within manufacturing that we saw back in the 40s during World War II. And that's the era of Rosie the Riveter. There was such a sense of pride in what we were doing on a manufacturing basis that everyone pulled together and we actually thrived during that era and created a lot of good stuff. So we, we need to bring that sense of pride back, I think. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've seen the, 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 uh, a couple of things you touched on, but all the way back to coal mining, the uh, just one of my my the most interesting. I've seen a lot of interesting people, and in, you know, so we're doing industrial Internet of Things into all this manufacturing. So the technology wave, we're a big part of that. But there's a gentleman; his name's Willie Bagley, and he um, was a coal miner in Eastern Kentucky. He's actually from the town Hazard, Kentucky. That I, according to him, is the town that the Dukes of Hazard was actually based on. Was the town was in Kentucky, uh, not where it was based in the show. And he grew up there. He was a coal miner and he saw those same winds of change coming and he left there and then ended up having a, a you know, pretty long, like maybe a 20 year career in the auto industry. The interesting mm -hmm. thing to me is that he, so he represented that he's now, he just retired last year, but he was extremely high performance. He was revered for his expertise. He also loved coal mining. I was surprised, you know, he, you think of that as a going down, doing a dirty job with a shovel and, it was very much not that it was clean. It was very high tech and his skills in coal mining translated marvelously to auto manufacturing. And that led him to be really recognized and valued in the organization that he was in. He was in uh, Toyota, incidentally, in Kentucky. But so he then also, that's great, but he represents part of the silver tsunami, right? So he, so what about young people in in these communities, what are you seeing actually works to get people excited about, you know, the, you know, the Rosie the Riveter type of, of rallying in the, in the story, young people, and, and then specifically women, because there's both the skills gap, but then also the gender gap. Mm -hmm. What do you see 
actually works? What is it that gets people addicted to it or, or resonates? Actually getting in front of them and talking to them about it and the opportunities that are available and educating them on what modern manufacturing is. So they're not going to know if they don't see it. And I feel like there's a disconnect with the, the not just the high schools, because I feel like we need to um, expose them at younger ages before they even get into high school. But that's hard to do, especially within families who might not have a manufacturing or engineering influence already internally. So like myself, um, my dad has been in manufacturing my entire life. I knew that he traveled a lot. I didn't necessarily know what for. I knew that he enjoyed math a lot and he was some sort of engineer, but he never really talked to us about what he did for a job. Um, we didn't really get close with manufacturing and engineering until I actually started Maimons. Um, I worked with him once when he was um, the president of sales for a, a machining tool company. I worked in the shipping department and um, I swore I would never work with him again because it was just a different person from what I knew. And it was really hard for me to be like, yeah, okay, sir, you know, because we never had that dynamic before. Um, but when I started Maven's, he was like, well, what is this? Why are you doing this? And I explained to him my mission and why I wanted to do it. And he's like, you know, this company did really good with highlighting their Rosie the Riveter history. And I worked for this company and this company has really good executive leadership um, filled with women. And this, and he started connecting with me on that level because he understands the importance of having a strong manufacturing foundation for economic stability. So he got really excited that I was doing this and that's when we became close. But there's other families out there who don't know what engineering or manufacturing is per se, or they just don't understand the effect that it has on a community as a whole. So if you are from a community that's not very economic, economically stable to begin with, you might not have the same opportunities compared to a community that's thriving. So you're not gonna have these specific programs that targets certain areas. You're not, you're, you're just gonna go through a school system and they're not really gonna have that education available, unfortunately. And um, I only know about this because my sister was a teacher um, in some really poor areas and the differences and resources that they had available to them compared to a community that was thriving um, was just really unfortunate and sad to know about. So I feel like we need to start at younger ages and we need to get everybody in the community involved and manufacturers need to be more proactive with their time, especially. So volunteer your time, go to the high school, go to the, the middle school, go to the elementary school, see what your community is doing for specific days like manufacturing day or engineering day, and then create an event around that. Sponsor a robotics team. If your community doesn't have a robotics team, how can you make one? Um, and just take it from there and, and start building these plans. And that's something that I'm doing within my own community I'm actually going to the high school and I'm asking them, okay, what are your pain points? Where are you struggling with getting people excited about these Votech programs? And you mentioned the supply chain issues that we're having right now. Um, the, the woman that I'm speaking with, her name is Deborah Prowse. 
she's like, you know, everybody's talking about the effects that they're feeling from the supply chain issue. She's like, we're feeling them 10 times as much um, because we don't have these materials now that fall within our budget because they only get a, a certain amount for their budget. She's like, now that these prices are skyrocketing, she's like, that affects our budget. And most of our teachers are pulling things like paying for these out of pocket for their, you know, for their supplies so that they can keep the class going. Because if they don't have the resources or the supplies, it's hard to keep the class going. And then if they can't bring the students in, they're going to lose the course and then their budget's going to get allocated somewhere else. And once you lose that budget, it's really hard to get it back again. So they're struggling with teachers because uh, teachers are retiring and uh, tech ed teachers are a major puzzle to all of this. And if you can't find a skilled tech ed teacher, it's going to be really hard to keep those courses as well, too. So I think it's just a variety of things that we all need to talk about within our own communities and build a strategy from there and get leadership involved, get families involved, get all of the educational institutions involved and build some sort of plan so that you're promoting or exposing kit, exposing the trade skills at much younger ages so that it's something kids are exposed to from the time they get into school, from the time that they leave. That's just my personal opinion. And from all the conversations that I've had, that's what I think will work is building a strategy from the time they get into kindergarten and strengthening it as they go through school. As they move through the whole program. Yes. Yeah. And that's going to be hard and take time. I and mean, I definitely. It's not, it's definitely not an overnight up. fix. You know, it's, it's not an overnight fix. It's going to take time and it's going to take, you know, persistence and uh, patience because it's, it's not going to be something we can do tomorrow. It's definitely going to take some time. What intrigues me, though, is I, you know, I see the uh, in the meantime, what you're already doing with Mavens and Manufacturing is you're you're fast tracking that to some extent in, in that you're, you know, you've just in the two years you've been doing it, you've interviewed some. 60 professionals, mostly women, but not all who are, who have mm -hmm. done something in there. You can hold them up as stories and you can share it. You don't have to revamp the whole, uh, you know, school system in order to be able to share these stories and get them out on YouTube and, and, and other social media. And so I think that's great. I know I just give you major like kudos for what you're doing because it seems like a way to fast track and it should accelerate, you know, the, not only the importance of, of, kind of resetting the structures, but also um, showing how to do it, you know, what actually works. That's mm -hmm. what I was curious to ask you about, you know, the, from the people that you've talked to so far, what's a highlight, you know, what really stands out as somebody that you've talked to that you think, man, if every six-year-old girl could just hear this story, then she would, she would get it and would be excited about this. There have been so many. So, um, Allison Giddens, she's in Georgia. She's the owner or co-owner of WinTech, which is an aerospace company. Just her energy and her vibe is infectious. She has such a great attitude and she actually developed her own uh, internship. It's a virtual internship program. So she initially just started it for the Georgia area and then it actually became national and then it became global because someone recommended a student that they knew in another country and she's like yeah let's let's do it so she didn't like hesitate to accept something out of her comfort zone and i think that's really 
exciting to see, especially from someone in leadership. It shows that she cares about the industry she's in. Um, she knows that there's a lack of talented workers. So she actually was proactive and did something about it. And I'm really excited because um, I, I get the opportunity to judge her the projects after they're done with the summer program that she's developing this year. She she sent out a request for judges and I can't wait to hear from these kids because when she did it last year, some of the projects that she mentioned, I was just like, where did they come up with those ideas? And I think that's cool because kids don't have those boundaries yet from so many years of tra training. They're still in that kind of risk-taking, you know, mood where they don't really have, oh, I can't do this because this is what I was taught or this is what I learned. They're, they're still experimenting and uh, just taking risk. Another one, um, I did mention Kathy Miller. Uh, she and Shannon Carells, they wrote this book called Steel Toes and uh, Stilettos, which I just think is a fantastic analogy with the many different types that women own. And uh, they talked about their journey together as co-workers because Shannon worked under Kathy um, throughout their career. And it was just a really interesting story about their friendship. And I think that's important to see women getting along with each other in such a male dominated industry. And if we can develop more uh, scenarios like that, I think it's really great. Uh, Nikki Gonzalez was another really good one. She works for Quote Beam and she just, She's worked with companies like Keyence and uh, um, she's a huge robotics and automation evangelist. And right now she's working on several DEI efforts to make uh, Quopium a more diverse employer for new work, new workers. And she's just gets involved with everything. And she and uh, Allie G is what I know her as. Uh, her name is Alicia Alicia, I'm so sorry. I'm going to pronounce your last name wrong. It's Jillipin, I think, <laughs> her last name. But they're starting an Automation Ladies podcast because they want to show what automation is and how it is to be a woman in automation. And yeah, there's just so many to count. Uh, I actually interviewed two, Rosie the Riveters, one Dolly Marshall, and then uh, Francis. And I interviewed a rosebud which is actually a granddaughter or daughter of a, a rosie the riveter as i found out her name is yvonne and just hearing the pride that they had doing what they did back in the 40s i think is important to keep that history so there's there's really too many to count um i'm interviewing cara branch who's actually uh the founder of black girls do engineer which i think is amazing so she is a chemical engineer by trade. She's worked with some really major companies. She has three daughters and she told me, she's like, you know, my, my nine-year-old came up to me and said she wanted to be a software engineer. What nine-year-old wants to do that unless they had some sort of inspiration from a family member? And she happened to be that inspiration for her daughter. So she's like, I didn't want her to go through this sector like I did thinking that there was no one else that looked like me involved in the sector. So she created uh, Black Girls Do Engineer and she's in her third year and she already has like three or four chapters in the United States. And she started out with 20 or 30 girls and now they have well over 200. So it's just stories like that that I get really excited about because it's showing that, you know, there are people there that care and they're doing what they can. So now if we can all just work together and help out these individuals pursue 
some of their uh, activities that they're trying to do, I think we can, like you said, fast track it a little bit quicker so that we can really start closing the skills gap and, and decrease those numbers. Because I think Deloitte said by 2030, it's supposed to be 2.1 million jobs that are going to be left vacant within engineering and manufacturing. So I really hope we can start decreasing that and make it less than 2 million. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, yeah, that's a hopefully zero. I mean, hopefully we can match it, you know, yeah. rallying people towards it. And the, the start, I love that you could just rattle off, you know, five, seven of, of those ones that resonate. It's just so clear that that really resonates and that you're doing something that's that you're really passionate about. They, um, I just feel bad because there's so many great women out there and it's just, you know, me not having, when I'm on the spot, it's hard for me to like name everyone out loud. But um, if you've been on Mavens, I appreciate you because yeah, they've, they're just doing great things and they're really humble about it and they love doing what they do. And some of them have, you know, have had really negative experiences within, not all of them, but some of them have had really negative experiences because they are women. And whether that was like, you know, being talked to a certain way or disregarded a certain way. Um, but that didn't stop them from pursuing what they wanted to do. And I'm glad that it didn't because they're doing some really amazing things within the sector. Yeah, I appreciate that. I actually had the um, Kathy Miller, the Steel Toes and Stilettos. I haven't read the book yet, but I did listen to your your interview. And it was just fascinating just to hear the real stories of what they went through on their path and their journey and how they, both she and Shannon could relate. Yeah. To other people, you know, what you're going to encounter things like this. And it's very, it's, I mean, it was, it was impactful. It was just, you know, some serious challenges that, that, uh, were more than what, anyway, I won't, I won't give away the preview, but it, to the audience here, please go watch these episodes because there's just fascinating stuff there that, that, um, that we can all learn from, but particularly I think younger people can get excited about manufacturing, be less intimidated by it. And also, women in particular can be excited about it and less intimidated by it. If we can connect those. Yeah. Those gaps. Absolutely. Yeah. Matter of fact, I was just talking to somebody, uh, I was, was talking to a young engineer from Ford just this morning. Um, and I, I asked him a question that, that relates to that is just, what do you see happening within a big company, a big manufacturing company? What he pointed to is, is kind of the same idea, but resource groups, but like peer groups within the company where you'll have, women who are, who have risen into leadership roles, but taking a really dedicated effort to, to connect those dots and share those stories uh, mm -hmm. is what he said is, is really, that's what's working. But for you to be doing that across this whole diversity of the American industrial workforce is I think just fascinating. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for doing it on behalf of the world. Cause it's, we can't, we can't go to 2030 with a $2.1 million workforce gap. It's just, I've, yeah, I'm close yeah. to these things. It's it's not tenable. I mean, the bad things will happen, and it, it's something that I believe will get fixed, but it has to. Which yeah. actually is um that that's the maybe the the thing I want to ask you, uh, is um, and maybe you just said it, but I'd like to just to just to hear it for like the biggest thing, you know. So there's all these there's twenty five twenty seven percent of the workforce is women, maybe it's 30%, but it's not, it's not half. And the overall workforce is half, particularly within manufacturing, there's this shortage potentially getting worse, but those aren't the only problems. And there's, there's other problems, but from your point of view, what you're seeing, what is the one that, that 
you really want to fix the most? What is, what is the problem that you're most motivated around in what you do? So here in the United States, um, and I've also have talked about it with some um, Canadian manufacturers, but it is generally a pretty white sector um, and it, it's pretty male dominated still. And I know this is an uncomfortable topic for some to have, which I've always left asking why it's uncomfortable, but uh, I really just want to diversify manufacturing and engineering as much as possible. I think it's a sector for anyone who likes working with their hands, who has a natural curiosity of how things work, who likes, you know, problem solving um, challenges, who, you know, there's there's so many different areas within engineering and manufacturing. Uh, there's a couple women that I talked to on Mavens who started out in interior design, and then they ended up in manufacturing. And I think that's a cool connection because a lot of people forget that there is that design aesthetic portion. Um, just because you can manufacture something, just because you can engineer something doesn't necessarily mean you can manufacture something as as easy. And you still have to make it look good right, you know, like with cell phones and stuff. Um, a lot of people grab a cell phone because of how it looks initially, or if it's if it's a piece of clothing, you know, we're all driven by our sense of vision in a sense, or well, most of us, um, we're driven by how things look. So you have to take those in consideration. Um, but yeah, I just, I feel like the more diverse we can make the sector, the more innovation we can grow to. And it's because, you know, we all have our life experiences. We all have gone through trauma a certain way, through loss a certain way, through wins a certain way. Um, we all think about things in a different way. And when you combine that collaboration with different life experiences, that's where you get the best innovation, in my opinion. Mm. Um, that's where you get the best thought process and the best brainstorming session. Uh, when you have the same group of people from project to project to project, uh, things can get a little redundant and then you, you kind of miss out on that innovation part of things. Uh, you won't think of things as creatively. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons why I like working with different manufacturing groups because it's different groups of people. It's different sets of people. And I learn more that way instead of just working with one one group of people when I'm when I'm writing things. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that I would like to fix is just bringing more different types of people within engineering and manufacturing. Yeah, that it seems so obvious and straightforward when you say it, but it is, it's a, it's hard to get from here to there. And it, uh, I don't think anybody would disagree that it would be better, yet it's not happening. So that's maybe the last question I have is, um, so you're personally devoting your life to this. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in a large way, you know, I, I am too. My whole company is about bringing the technology wave, but the technology is only as good as the people that are using it. And so that diverse, open-minded, mm -hmm. fully participatory workforce is, is necessary. But for, for you, the, the last question is just, um, 
where do you think we're going to be in 2030? So Deloitte, Deloitte says we're going to be 2.1 million people short, and it's going to maybe be similar to what it is now. But we want it to be fully diverse, equal participation across gender and, and race and all, you know, all aspects of diversity. Where do you actually think we're going to be uh, eight years from now? I'm optimistic that we're going to, so you said eight years from now. One of my mentors, when I first started out Mavens, I was scared out of my mind because I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never done video editing. I've never done any of this stuff. And uh, the line that stuck with me from him was, as long as you're 1% better from what you did yesterday, you're on the right track. He's like, don't try to shoot for 50%. Don't try to shoot for 80%. As long as you're 1% better from the day before, you're on the right track to grow. So if we can do 1% better every single day for the next eight years, I think that's a pretty healthy way to, to move forward. Um, you don't want to stay stagnant. You don't want to fall back. You don't want to take step backwards. So I think if we can just work together and do what we can do every single day, knowing that it's 1% better than the day we did before, we're on the right track to, to decreasing that number. So again, it's going to take a village. It's not an overnight fix. And it's going to take a lot of work, a lot of patience. And, you know, sometimes it's going to be opportunities where there's not going to be any compensation in return for those doing it. Like I, I mentioned volunteer work. I think a lot of us need to just volunteer our time when we don't want to, um, because, you know, not everything of value comes out of paid opportunities, in my opinion. I think if we can start volunteering some of our time and not always looking for that compensation in return, um, that's a good good thing to start too. Certainly. Yeah. I love that 1% better every day. It, it's just a, it sounds very much like a continuous improvement mindset and I, yeah, <laughs> proven path it works. Well, that's great, Megan. Yeah. I really appreciate everything that you're doing with Mavens of Manufacturing. We'll certainly get our, our people paying attention to it. We have a lot of uh, diversity and, uh, you know, a lot of female engineers working in our company. Maybe some of them would be good uh, interviews for you one day. But we'll certainly yeah, share absolutely. this and help you get your message out going forward. And mainly, I just appreciate what you're doing and, and you taking the time to share the story about Mavens of Manufacturing with us today. And this is the Industrial Transformation Podcast. I'm Jeremy Frank. Megan, anything you'd like to say in closing? Oh, uh, yeah. Just thank you for having me uh, on to talk about Mavens of Manufacturing, the things that I love doing. For those of you who want to be a guest, I have mavensofmanufacturing.com. To, as a website, there's a scheduling link down there. I'd love to chat with you. Otherwise, I'm also on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect or follow me. Um, again, my goal is to get so many people excited about engineering manufacturing the way that I'm excited about it. And especially if you're a student and you have no idea what you want to do for the rest of your life or when you grow up, uh, feel free to connect with me because I have a lot of connections and I would love to get you connected with someone who might inspire you to join the join the sector. Wonderful. Thanks so much again. It's it's Megan Zimba of Mavens of Manufacturing and this is the Industrial Transformation Podcast. Thanks so much. 
Thanks for listening to the Industrial Transformation Podcast, a production of Business Builders Media. Learn more about how KCF can help you on your industrial transformation journey at kcftech.com. And check out more shows on businessbuildersmedia.com. Thank you.